0: Pink Flamingo's Haunted UK podcast is recorded and presented in stereo. Listening to it through an environment such as headphones is highly recommended. Pink Flamingo's Haunted UK podcast is proudly sponsored by CDS Print and Design. For printed t-shirts, hoodies, canvases, coasters, placemats, stickers, banners, signage and much much more, contact Colin or Debbie at CDS Print and Design through Facebook. Instagram or email at cdsprintanddesign at gmail.com With high quality products at competitive prices, what have you got to lose? We're currently asking you, the listeners, for your ghost stories and paranormal experiences for a set of listener episodes. Wherever you live in the world, if you've had an experience, then please email the show with full details of your story, to haunted UK podcast at hotmail.com. In 1990, I was asked to stay the night in a renowned Lancashire house for a charity event. The residence was known as Chingle Hall, and its reputation was said to be fearsome. Many people believed it to be the most haunted house in England. Author Solomon Strange writing about his stay at Chingle Hall. Welcome to Pink Flamingo's Haunted UK Podcast. This is episode 7 of Pink Flamingo's Haunted UK podcast, and this time we're going to look into the hauntings at Shingle Hall. There are many houses, small family homes, all the way up to huge manor houses which are said to be extremely haunted but few have the reputation of Chingle Hall in Lancashire. The land which the hall now stands on was owned by the Singleton family and goes way back to 1066. In 1260, the first building on the land was erected by Adam de Singleton and was a small manor house called Singleton Hall. The hall was surrounded by a moat and had a large oak-studded door which was only accessible by a drawbridge. During the 16th century, the drawbridge was replaced with a brick-built bridge and the house was renamed Shingle Hall. It still retained its moat and the oak-studded door, both of which remain part of the property to this very day. The house remained in the possession of the Singleton family until 1585, when the last remaining Singleton, Eleanor, died. The hall was then passed on to the War family, by way of marriage between William Wall and Anne Singleton. During the next nearly 300 years, the hall was extended and many family members lived and died there until, again, it was passed on to new owners, the Farringtons. They owned the building for around 100 years, until it was bought by the Longton family who rented it to the Howarths, who in turn decided to buy the hall in 1960. Margaret Howarth was left as the sole resident when her husband died, so, to bring in extra money, she welcomed visitors and entertained them with stories of the hall's past, as well as its ghosts. The house fell into disrepair when Mrs Howarth died and was regularly visited by vandals who badly damaged large areas of the hall. It seemed that this once beautiful building would become another victim of neglect. Until husband and wife Sandra and John Copleston-Bruce brought the property and fully restored it in 1986. Chingle Hall's current owner decided to keep the building as a private estate, so for now, it's not open to the public. Many paranormal groups have held night vigils and investigations, and many have told of encounters of ghosts and other strange incidents, and it's not hard to see why. With hundreds of years of history and countless family deaths, and also some intriguing legends, this really is a prime haunted candidate. Chingle Hall allegedly boasts no less than 20 ghosts, some of them with completely horrific backstories, like John Wall. He was born at Chingle Hall in 1620, and in 1641 departed England for France to become a Franciscan priest. He returned to England in 1678 to visit a friend, but was arrested near Bromsgrove after word had spread that a Catholic priest was in the area. He was tried and convicted of practising the Mass, which was illegal and punishable by death in those days. He was taken to Worcester Jail, where he was offered a choice – forsake his religion and live, or keep his faith as a Catholic priest and die. John Wall chose to die. He was hung, drawn and quartered on the 22nd of August 1679 and his remains were buried in St Oswald's churchyard. John Wall's head was apparently a treasured possession in Worcester guarded by local friars but it wasn't long before the most unlikely group would take John Wall back to Shingle. During the French Revolution a group of nuns travelled to England and recovered the head returning it to Chingle Hall and burying it somewhere in the property's boundaries. The ghost of John Wall has been witnessed on many occasions, turning up in a number of different locations in and around the property. TV reporter Paul Crone is one of many people who flatly refused to set foot back inside Chingle Hall after staying the night with a group of nurses who were fundraising. He decided to cover the event and report on their experiences not that they thought that anything would happen. Whilst the group was seated downstairs, happily chatting away, one of the nurses happened to turn to her colleague and was immediately struck with absolute terror as she saw the full apparition of a hooded monk-like figure. The ghost was standing directly behind her colleague, as if looking down at her, but its face couldn't be seen. After what seemed like an eternity the other members of the group noticed how pale and quiet their friend was. They pulled her from her trance-like state and asked if she was okay. Nobody else had seen the apparition, only her. But the night wasn't over yet. In another incident, Paul himself decided to investigate one of the most haunted areas of the house, the staircase. As he was standing at the bottom a large heavy door slammed shut with no one near it. The area then went incredibly cold. One of the nurses rushed to Paul to see what the noise was, and as he was explaining to her about the incident with the door, they both saw a strange blue glow beginning to rush up the stairs. A number of photographs were taken by the nurse, and as the flash was illuminating the staircase, the blue glow was going further up the stairs, until it finally disappeared around a corner at the top. Other incidents happened that evening which reinforced Shingle Hall's terrifying reputation and every person in that group who left the house in the morning would forever be changed. Another sighting of the monk happened to radio producer Terry Whitaker, who was at the house as part of an investigation into the phenomenon at Shingle Hall. Terry and his colleagues had been at the house on and off for around 12 weeks gathering evidence of the hauntings. In all of that time they had witnessed nothing at all, so on their last night vigil they weren't expecting anything to happen. At around 12.40am Terry and one of his colleagues heard footsteps coming from a corridor close to where they were seated. They both immediately made their way to the corridor and watched in amazement as the oak floorboards bent and flexed as if someone or something was walking on them. They followed the path of the footsteps to the far end of the corridor and were both shocked to see the hooded figure of a monk with his arms tucked inside his sleeves. The apparition then walked around the corner, quickly followed by the two men, and right in front of them both, walked straight through a cupboard and into a wall. Needless to say, Terry and his colleague were hugely excited by the fact that after all the effort and hours spent at Shingle Hall, they'd finally witnessed a paranormal event... Interestingly enough, after doing some research, it turned out that the wall which the apparition disappeared into was in fact the location of one of the many priest holes at the house. Anna Easton, a local historian, has spent many hours hosting group tours around the house and has had her own fair share of experiences. On one occasion, she was showing a group of tourists from New Zealand around the house and its chapel when one of the group commented about the white hooded figure over at the far wall. All of the group, including Anna, turned to look and saw the same figure with its hands partially covering the area where a face should have been. The apparition was visible for around a minute and was witnessed by the whole group. Another experience for Anna took place in the John Wall room upstairs. This again involved the sighting of a hooded figure, but this time Similar to the spirit seen by Terry Whitaker, the arms were tucked inside its sleeves. Anna also noticed that the figure was quite short for a man, but knew that this only made the sighting more believable, as the average height of men hundreds of years ago was around 5 feet. The apparition stayed visible for quite a while, until finally it faded away. It's important to understand that many practising Roman Catholics would have sought safety inside Shingle Hall after the dissolution of the monasteries. After all, their lives were literally on the line. So for this reason, it's difficult to pin down just how many monks or priests actually haunt the property. But one thing is certain, not all of these spirits are friendly. A witness named Carrie was part of a paranormal investigation group which had decided to settle down in one of the rooms downstairs. The lights were switched off and the group were trying their best to be calm and quiet, hoping to witness any type of paranormal event. Carrie recalls that she was sat by a window and that nothing untoward had happened so far that evening until the whole group heard the faint but unmistakable sound of chanting. Then a very dark, oppressive and ominous atmosphere began to gather all around the room and surround the group. Carrie remembers that, even though she was in the dark, she pulled her jumper over her head as she was so terrified. After a short time, she asked if someone would go with her outside to get some air. She described the feeling as experiencing a moment in time, perhaps in the distant past that this was so full of pain and suffering that it was strong enough to manifest itself right there in front of them all. Another example of a similar incident occurred during a seance held at Chingle Hall in October 1995. Jason Carl, a resident of the house at the time and a paranormal investigator, had welcomed a group of fundraisers who had agreed to stay the night. As the group gathered around a table, Opinions were divided as to whether the house was even haunted at all. Vic Allenby in particular had no belief in the paranormal... ...and was simply there to make up the numbers and enjoy the experience. Little did he, or for that matter the whole group realise... ...that something would occur which would change their beliefs forever. After Jason had got the group calmed down, the séance began. In a strange twisted turn of events... It was Vic who was the first person to experience the forces which resided inside Shingle Hall. Similar to Carrie's experience earlier, Vic began to feel a dark atmosphere enter the room and surround the group. Then, he felt a huge amount of pressure on his shoulders and back, as if someone was pushing him down towards the table. Other members of the group could see that Vic was becoming more and more uncomfortable, and that he was beginning to panic. Angela Dewhurst was the next person to feel the pressure on her back, and she too was becoming terrified. This strange phenomenon moved around the table and even engulfed Vic's wife, Wendy. She said that it felt like there was something moving around inside her body. The group then collectively confirmed the strong scent of lavender, and then the overwhelming feeling of immense depression and sadness. This then caused the entire group to begin to sob uncontrollably. All of them completely confused as to the reason why they were all feeling these immensely strong emotions. Whilst all of this was going on, Jason reached for his camera and announced that he was going to take a few pictures as evidence of this occurrence. As he snapped a photo, Annette Cox saw the faint figure of a woman standing behind the group members opposite her. The flash from the camera seemed to illuminate her and this sent the group into complete panic. Jason took it upon himself to bring the seance to a close and strangely to ask Eleanor to stop the activity as it was disturbing the people in the room. Almost immediately the feelings and atmosphere completely dissipated and the environment returned back to normal. But what made Jason think that all of these frightening but amazing events were down to someone called Eleanor? Earlier in this episode, you may remember the name Eleanor Singleton mentioned. She was the last member of the Singleton family and died in Shingle Hall in 1585. Eleanor's life was one of misery and torment... Born in 1568 and the only daughter of John Singleton, who died when she was six years old, she was deemed insane by two uncles who moved in and took it upon themselves to be her guardians. She allegedly spent almost all of her life locked in one room in the house until her death. This was the priest room. She was both mentally, physically and sexually abused and the actual reasons for her death were never really known. She had a number of miscarriages and actually gave birth to four children who were all murdered and burned by her uncles. Could Eleanor's horrifically troubled spirit have been responsible for the happenings during the seance? Could those feelings of darkness, depression and complete sadness have been Eleanor's way of communication? Many witnesses have ventured into the priest room and have found themselves completely overwhelmed with emotion and have been, in many cases, reduced to tears. Whether Eleanor can be blamed for the occurrences in our next story remains to be seen. In the early 90s, Paul Green, a central heating installer and maintenance engineer, was called into Shingle Hall to install a new boiler, a new set of water pipes, a water tank and a few radiators. After a few days, Paul had managed to get the water pipes into where the boiler was to be fitted, but felt that he was falling behind a little on time, and decided to bring in another engineer to help him finish the jobs off. As Paul was moving the boiler into position, the doorbell rang, so he went to answer the door. It was his friend and fellow engineer, ready to help out. As they walked back towards the room with the boiler, Paul was explaining what needed to be done and finished off. As they entered the room, Paul was shocked and completely bewildered to see that all of the pipework was missing. It had simply disappeared. Feeling himself getting angry, he went off to find the owner of the house at the time, with his assistant engineer. After explaining what both men had seen, all three of them returned to the site of the boiler installation to find that all of the pipes had returned to exactly the same positions they were previously. Paul was completely dumbfounded. As was his friend, who was a first hand witness. Where had the pipes disappeared to? How did they return? Why wasn't there any noise at all? This incident mixes together a number of elements of the paranormal, including poltergeist activity, possible time slip event, and even maybe a case of another dimension making itself visible. This story in itself is truly incredible and makes a rational explanation for it far out of reach. Our next tale is just as amazing, and involves a young couple who had heard the stories surrounding Shingle Hall and decided to visit the house for themselves. Upon arriving, they found the house to be very quiet, and didn't think that anyone would be in to show them around. They crossed the moat bridge and knocked on the large black studded oak door. The couple were on the verge of giving up when the huge door opened up and they were greeted by a small elderly lady. The two visitors explained that they had travelled to the area to hopefully take a look around the house and wondered if there was anyone around who could give them a guided tour. The lady smiled at the couple and offered to show them around personally. After introducing herself to them, she began to show them around, going through the history of the land, the house, And the families of the past. This kind of in-depth tour was exactly what the couple were looking for. With no acceptance of a payment for the tour, the couple thanked the lady for her time and made their way to the local pub for a drink and a bite to eat. While sitting at the bar, the couple began to speak to a few of the locals and relayed their story of their tour around Shingle Hall. They mentioned that their guide a lovely elderly lady who went into detail about the stories and the history of the house and its grounds. Looking a little confused, one of the locals asked if this elderly lady gave the couple her name. Oh yes, they said. She told us that her name was Margaret Howarth. Noticing the look of disbelief on the face of the local, the couple asked if everything was okay. The local villager then informed the couple that, Mrs. Margaret Howarth had been dead for over a year, so that there was no way that it could have been her. After seeing a photo of a group of people from years before, both of the couple pointed out Margaret Howarth straight away, without any hesitation whatsoever. To this day, the couple are adamant that the happy, helpful, informative little elderly lady who showed them around Shingle Hall was the ghost of Margaret Howarth. During her own time in the house, Margaret continued to host parties and paranormal investigations after her husband had died. She's fondly remembered by many as a person who could hold the attention of family, friends and visitors alike, with stories of the ghosts of Chingle Hall and its colourful history. But Margaret Howarth wasn't just the storyteller, she was also a witness. One particular story, which she would relate to people, would happen to her quite often. She would be in the lounge watching television in the evening with her two dogs of company. At a completely random time, the sound of the front door opening, then closing, would immediately grab her attention. From her position in the lounge, Margaret was able to see the entrance hall and the door to the stairs. She would then see one of two spectral figures. The first would usually be a hooded monk in a brown cowl. This apparition seemed to attract the attention of both of her dogs, who would happily walk over to the figure and follow it upstairs with their tails wagging. On the rare occasion, however, the second figure would be a monk all in black and the mood would be completely different. Instead of the dogs being curious and not afraid of the strange visitor, they would stay crouched down with their heads turned away. Margaret always felt that the monk in brown was John Wall, simply returning back to his home. The identity of the figure in black, however, always remained a mystery. Could this out-of-place apparition be a accumulation of all the pain and suffering which has found its way to the door of Chingle Hall? Going all the way back to the beginning of this episode, and to the opening comment from writer Solomon Strange, let's bring this to a close with his experience at Chingle Hall. Solomon was part of a small group who were taking part in an overnight investigation. As the group drove up to the house, they were immediately struck by the eerie atmosphere. Chingle Hall was already beginning to live up to its reputation. Upon entering the house, the group was greeted by their guide for the evening, who spoke at length about the history of the house, as well as its ghostly inhabitants. The group were excited to be there but didn't think for one moment that they would experience anything at all. But to their astonishment, strange things started happening almost straight away. One of the group members, Sarah, felt a cold spot by the Great Fireplace. Being next to her, Solomon moved his hands through the cold spot and immediately felt it, but the other two members of the group couldn't feel anything at all. Putting the phenomenon down to a draft, they thought no more of it, After a while, their guide left the house, commenting that they would be back in the morning to let them out. The group took it upon themselves to have a wander around the property, making their way to the most haunted locations in the house. First off, it was Eleanor's room. After hearing all of the stories about the horrors of Eleanor's life as a captive in that room, they all prepared themselves for shocks and scares. But nothing. Nothing at all next up was the chapel by the great hall again this location is responsible for some amazing paranormal activity but as with eleanor's room nothing at all the group continued their journey around the house opening doors cupboards walking up creaky stairs and just when they were beginning to think that Chingle hall was all hype and third-hand stories the entire group loudly and clearly heard the sound of a latch rattle up and then clunked down from a door directly behind them. As they turned around, they found that the door was wide open, with no one near it. Solomon made his excuses and recommended that they all go back to the Great Hall. This was mainly because group members Sarah and Michelle were beginning to get genuinely spooked. For the next couple of hours, the group happily chatted away, in the comfort of the Great Hall... When Solomon decided to take it upon himself to take a look around on his own, he grabbed a torch and made his way up to John Wall's room. Upon entering the room, he was immediately greeted by the strong smell of incense. The type burned inside a church. Moving the torch around the room, it was clear that there was no incense burner and nobody else in the room with him. The room then went cold and Solomon was surrounded by a feeling that he described as a mild electric current coursing through his body. At the same time, he became aware that something was by the window, inside the room, and it was moving. Solomon was now in the company of a dark shadowy figure that resembled the shape and features of a monk. This figure was much darker than the other shadows that were in the room, almost a charcoal black as Solomon described it. And it seemed to have a level of intelligence as it turned to face him. Solomon couldn't make out any facial features and could only stand there in complete disbelief, staring at something that he felt was always a trick of the mind or a misidentification or fear and expectation fueling a ghostly sighting. This was happening to him. Right now. For real. Real fear began to take hold of Solomon, and he finally gave in when the figure began to move towards him. He had a very strong feeling that, whatever this apparition was, it was fully aware of his presence. He ran out of the room and back downstairs, now fully convinced of the reputation of Chingle Hall. Solomon's experience had a profound effect on him, and instead of it having a negative impact on his life, he viewed himself as being tremendously lucky to have seen something as amazing as this. So, what do we think about Shingle Hall? An extremely haunted house? Or a place whose reputation is overhyped and overrated? I think I tend to lean towards extremely haunted house. The sheer number of sightings and experiences, along with the credibility of the witnesses, makes Chingle Hall a massive contender for the title of the most haunted house in the UK. As stated earlier in this episode, Chingle Hall is no longer open to the public, and ghost hunters and paranormal investigation groups are definitely off-limits. But if, for some reason, the house reopens for visitors in the near future, and you find yourself wandering around the many rooms inside... Be very careful what you wish for, because the next person who may be chosen by Chingle Hall to have an experience could be you. Well, we've come to the end of episode 7 of Pink Flamingo's Haunted UK podcast, but before I go, I'd just like to make a few announcements. First off, thank you to all of you who have listened, and if you've enjoyed the show, then please leave a five star review. This will help the show tremendously. You can find the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Casts and Radio Public. Secondly, I'd like to give a big shout out to the show's sponsor, CDS Print and Design. Thank you so much to Colin and Debbie. Thank you for your support. Thirdly, I'd like to give a shout out to a few podcasts which... If you're struggling to find interesting material to listen to, then these will definitely quench your thirst. Wherever you download your podcasts from, try searching for the following. Astonishing Legends The Strange Sessions Haunted Housewives The Mystery of Life Podcast The Salty Speculation Podcast Killing, Missing, Hidden The Pineapple Pizza Podcast Podcasts from Fallen Scholar Productions, Keep It Weird podcast, and from the Parcast Network who are now exclusively only on Spotify, Unexplained Mysteries, Conspiracy Theories, Gone, and Extraterrestrial. Next, if you've experienced a paranormal event at Shingle Hall, or for that matter anywhere in the world, then please email the show at hauntedukpodcast.com at hotmail.com That's Haunted UK Podcast at hotmail.com with full details of your encounter and I will try my best to read out as many listener stories as possible in dedicated listener episodes I would genuinely love to hear from you so please get in touch Last of all if you have a podcast that you need mixing or you need original music writing for your podcast then please get in touch via email to pinkflamingo.musicproductions at hotmail.com. That's pinkflamingo.musicproductions at hotmail.com. This podcast was recorded at Pink Flamingo Music Production Studio in Hales Owen in the West Midlands, England. For a full list of research sources that helped immensely with the content of this episode, please refer to the show's notes thank you all so much again for listening and we'll be back very soon with another episode until then stay safe and take care